So today we're joined by Michael Dudley, who will be reading to us from his wonderful, thoughtful book, Pilgrimage. Selected poems from his more than 40 years of writing poetry. Doesn't look old enough, does he? Michael was born in the city of Toronto, but for 35 years he lived and worked in rural southwest Ontario. And from June 2018 to May 2020, he continuously travelled. He's the father of three and currently living in Chatham, Ontario. His writing's been internationally published in newspapers, magazines, journals, and anthologies. He's a member of Haiku Canada, the Haiku Society of America, and the World Haiku Association. And if you read his book, Pilgrimage, there's an afterword in which he writes, and I'm paraphrasing now, when 14 and vulnerably entering high school, I was bone skinny and chair short. Chair short. I've never heard that before, and I can't wait to use it. At an unconscious level, he says, I immediately related to the littlest poems. They were the underdog poems, runt poems. I instinctively identified with them, with haiku intensely. And I think this vulnerability is a theme of the book, and we'll probably return to it during our chat. Michael, you are most welcome to P Towers and Poetry P Readings. Good day, Patricia. I appreciate your invitation to be here, and I'm delighted to be with you on Poetry P. That, that descriptive, by the way, that mm -hmm. you mentioned was expressed by an uncle, oh. and uh, it remained very accurate in my life until I experienced a growth spurt at <laughs> age 16. And when I encountered haiku as a little guy, I felt an instantaneous kinship. So, Michael, like I said, you really don't look old enough to have been writing haiku for 40 years. But I'm guessing now they're very much part of your life. So do you have a daily haiku routine? Well, writing has been very important to me, very meaningful part of my life uh, since I learned how to read, which was the result of my mother and her mother teaching me on the couch in the living room where we were living. And um, they, they used incredible voices and expressions and mannerisms, and they, they developed uh, a personal connection with the words. And they encouraged not only reading the words and understanding the words, but also appreciating the kind of emotional value of them. And they essentially determined the course of my life. Oh, wow. Because I became a, a, an English teacher, mm -hmm. which I thoroughly enjoyed for 33 years, wow. and a writer. And reading has remained a, a critically important part of my usual day. Really, anything with words immediately attracts my attention. I'm fascinated by signs and comics and scraps of paper that have somehow been removed from their original source. And uh, this is really as a result of the kind of love that was imbued in me by my mother and her mother. And it's also both of them loved reading. So I would also see them reading constantly. Now they, they tended towards uh, instructional manuals and craft books and uh, mysteries. 
But it wasn't lost on me that this was a very significant part of their lives. And they were extremely encouraging with my own development as a writer and as a reader. A, a lot of wonderful memories from my early childhood were about reading poems and stories together and eventually acting them out and, and, and dancing in the kitchen with my mother when a, when a song came on, which we then expanded into uh, performances. This um, really de developed a, a kind of a deeply personal relationship with the written and spoken word. I became a teacher. I taught high school, okay. English, literature, creative writing, mm -hmm. drama, theater. Okay. I loved it uh, in, uh, very deeply. It brought great meaning to my life. It was a joy to go in every day. But I knew eventually, as my children were growing, mm -hmm. and I was a single dad for 10 years, oh, okay. I knew that as they were, as my sons were reaching their uh, late teens, that uh, I too would be moving on to a, another uh, dimension of my life. Uh -huh. And so as my youngest son left the home, I too was, had already retired and was planning a journey, an international journey, which I then enjoyed. Since I've been back, I've been thoroughly enjoying being back again <laughs> and exploring, like a tourist, my country. While you were away, I think you made, um, when you were sort of on, on your intercontinental journey, um, or international journey, I should say, you made quite a few contacts, and I think a book came out of it, didn't it? Yes, that's true. I, I first headed to... Greenland and Iceland, and then Ooh. Northern Europe, and then into Eastern Europe. And right. while I was in Croatia, I was warmly welcomed by the accomplished Croatian haiku community. Mm. We became involved in, in many projects and participated in events and developed a very close, um, simpatico friendship with Tomislav Maratec in Zagreb and Dan Pavlinovich in Pula. Okay. And we decided that together we would write individual haiku as a group and in pairs. So we spent the next two years composing co-created bilingual cross-cultural haiku wow. in Senryu and and um, Renge and sequences. And last year, a book was published under the title of Nexus Haiku, which contained the work that we had completed together. And I hope possibly we can get all of you together to, to come back and do a reading for that one in the future. Oh, we would like that very much. <laughs> That's good. Um, now today though, you've come along to read to us from Pilgrimage. Tell us a little bit about the history of that book. Pilgrimage is a, is a selected volume. So the poems have been chosen from 15 previous collections and organized into an ordering that, that conveys the sense of an ongoing life, uh, a pilgrimage. 
the although the poems were were composed at different times of my life and were reordered uh, in in the book oh, okay. pilgrimage many of them even if they were written decades apart related very significantly in terms of theme you know, in terms of setting in terms of subject and so I, I started to realize as I was organizing the book that there was a journey being expressed here, a life journey that was ongoing, not complete. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't organized any of my previous collections in that way. So I was intrigued by that and found that somehow the poems kind of found their place in an, in an ordering that creates the, this sense of a persona moving through his life. And now there are, there are a few sequences in the book, which I think the, the poems themselves, or the, the haiku themselves can be read as standalone pieces of work, but they are written on a theme or about an event. So tell me, do you find or have you found something that sparks a theme of poetry and then you mine it till it runs dry? Or how do you how do you do that? Sometimes uh, a subject or a theme or an experience seems to require or even demand a kind of further exploration beyond a single poem or, or individual poems. Yeah. And I'm very excited when that happens. And as you say, I, I, I tend to follow that inclination, but I'm also very wary about exhausting the source or exhausting the content. So I tend to follow it as long as the, the energy and impetus is there. Mm -hmm. And then when I sense there's a waning, I leave it so that I can return to it later. Okay. And again, write about this area that has some depth and, and um, complexity in it that uh, will likely reward a return to it. I haven't thought about it like you. I'll write about something and it'll sort of, it'll dry up, but then I'll return to it maybe months later and there's a whole new source of, of mm. inspiration within it. So that's, that's really interesting. And it's, the, the book is really personal or I find it very personal. And there are things in it that possibly I would find difficult to write about so two questions come out of that was it easy to, to to write about them and was the process of writing about them therapeutic i suppose in in many ways any kind of creative act is therapeutic insofar as it it helps one to engage important ideas uh, emotions uh, memories and to transform them into into works of art. It's also uh, in a way therapeutic because it, um, it engages the, the, the kind of openness or it requires a kind of openness to the fullness of life, mm -hmm. which I think is, is critical for a literary form. I know that, that a lot of people may read pilgrimage as a is a kind of autobiography, although it isn't. Okay. I mean, it is, it's true that some of the poems 
poems come very directly from my personal life and something that I directly experienced, mm -hmm. that I interacted with, and then wrote about. But others come from observations, from stories I've heard from others. Parts of, of the book do have a persona uh, that is resembles me very closely, but and it is me, but it's not me. So even in the, the most, most identifiably significant uh, sequences, let's say, where I'm engaging um, content that's very personal per se, mm -hmm. it doesn't in any way mean that this has happened to me. The book has a persona and follows that particular character. But the haiku are not autobiographical, although some are. Mm -hmm. And they're not journalistic, although some are. Mm -hmm. And some have happened to me directly and some haven't. Mm -hmm. But in order to create a, a full text that reads from beginning to end as a connected narrative, it was important for me to shape through the ordering and the style and, and expression, the poems so that they would flow through the stages of this persona's life. Mm -hmm. And tell in a, in a way, a kind of novelistic story yep. from, beginning, from beginning to end. You, you were mentioning that uh, some of these areas of, of um, exploration are, are quite emotional. Yes. That's very true. I'm thinking of Santoka Taneda, who mm -hmm. said anything that is not actually present in one's heart is not haiku. Michael, neither of us had chosen a poem from the sequence fragments. And honestly, I don't think I could read it all without crying. But I'd like to feature that sequence before we get into the reading that you're going to give us. When we provisionally discussed this part of the reading, I wanted to read one piece and you wanted to read a different one. So I thought we'd compromise and perhaps you could read both the poems to us. And we'll start, if you wouldn't mind, with a reading of this one. Donning, the hot water bottle now cool between us. Donning. The hot water bottle now cool between us. Which is followed by. Now what? She sits at the far end, lost in her thoughts. Now what? She sits at the far end, lost in her thoughts. Maybe you've explained this in. in what you said previously, that these poems are often a sort of an amalgamation of observation, experience, knowledge. But I'm still intrigued as to why you would speak about such a personal thing. That's one of the reasons I do write about it, because it's, it's a deeply personal theme that most of us, if we are involved in a committed and loving relationship will at some point experience. Mm -hmm. It's a very significant 
issue that affects so many people, not just those who are involved in the relationship. In essence, it, it demands being written about. I hope that such a sequence allows people to relate and understand and perhaps engage and gain perspective. Now, we'll go to the the poems that you chose to read. In my daughter's garden, I water the impressions her hands have made. In my daughter's garden, I water the impressions her hands have made. I thought this was a really charming piece of work. And I felt like it was, uh, you were talking from a memory of, of your daughter as a young child, but I'm not sure I had that right. This is an example of um, Basho's uh, precept that haiku is simply what is happening in this place at this time. This is an accurate representation of an experience that I had while I was watering my daughter's garden when when she was young when she was a young girl she and I dug and tended her very own companion garden and one spring after she had finished her careful very careful planting of seeds I began watering the soil and wondrously watched as little pools briefly formed in the imprints of her hands. There's quite a bit of thought gone into how you've put that poem together, but you've made it look very simple. I, I do struggle with finding the final form of, of a haiku. Mm-hmm. And I work through many versions of most poems. And some I reach impasse with and leave behind and then return to maybe a year later Mm -hmm. or longer. Others I I just keep struggling with and and don't reach any kind of satisfaction with. And it has to do with the, the form, the look, the sound, the pace, the rhythm, the images, the evocation, the appeal to, to emotion, it is a great challenge to me to work the words into a form where I feel it's as good as I can get it. Yeah. And then, as I, I was told by a, a, a poetic mentor of mine, Milton Acorn, one of Canada's greatest poets. He, he, he told me once, you know, no poem is really ever finished. You, you just have to let it go. Okay. I experienced that. And often after, after a book is published, I'll work through the pages and think, oh, oh, I should have done this. I sh- oh, I should have changed that. Oh, I can't believe I did that. The copies of books that I use at readings are often marked up so bad on a page, oh. I, I might not be able to read the poem, <laughs> the poem because it's so obscured with these notes. <laughs> but I think it's a good thing because it, yeah. it, it indicates a kind of um, development or growth uh, 
uh, a new perspective. From his small hand, popcorn spills onto mud into a constellation. From his small hand, popcorn spills onto mud into a constellation. I'm glad you featured this one because I love the way you've put this one together and you, you sort of got that triangle shape from it in, in terms of working from his small hand to the popcorn spilling out onto the mud, which is a little, you know, bigger, and then into the wide universe of the constellation. I thought that was just such a beautiful way of, of putting that. And it's a great technique, I think, to use in a poem. Do you use it much? I mean, is this, this, is this something you would return to, this technique, time and time again? Throughout pilgrimage, there are various patterns of, of imagery, including, of course, the, the micro to macro, but mm -hmm. internal, external, past, present, sensory, spiritual. And these arrangements of the images and content help, I think, to deepen the tension through opposites. And they connect differing elements um, in a meaningful way. Also, it, it seems to shape uh, a container for an inclusiveness of content. The other thing I like about this kind of arrangement of, of imagery mm -hmm. is that it creates a sense of movement within the poem, yes. which helps to maintain its aliveness. And in this particular case, the, the, the micro to macro, I hope, is helping to convey a sense of amazement and wonder. Hailstorm, our striped signs held like shields. Hailstorm, our strike signs held like shields. It's a part of a sequence which read together has a bigger impact, obviously. But even on its own, this, this poem stands tall on its own. Certain things in it that really stood out for me, the use of hailstorms. You possibly could have chosen any type of weather, but the hailstorm really adds to the tension, I think, of this poem. When I read it, I can hear the hailstorm mixed with the potential noise from the strike, the, the people on strike who are shouting and and making a lot of noise, banging their, their, their um, signs, etc. This is beautifully put together. Would you like to tell us a bit about it? This poem is another personally experienced moment. And it occurred while I was walking a strike line during a county job action. This particular poem is kind of representing in a way that uh, those moments when individuals, now in this case, it's, this, it's the people along the strike line, but this could just as well apply to those that were on the other side or those that were crossing, mm -hmm. that they felt they were pushed into a very defensive position mm -hmm. and, that, and that somehow whatever their good intentions are, 
they can't escape this this kind of um, tension and opposition and uh, and to a certain degree hostility. Yeah, that, that they can feel. So hence the the strike signs being held like shields, protectively. Um, yes. Yeah. And that brings me on to something that I was going to take you up on because I bang on on the on our other podcast on the Haiku P podcast. I bang on about techniques of, and I say, you know, don't send me any poems with similes. Right. But you've chosen to use like a simile in, in this one. Tell us about that. Tell us about that choice. Now, I do understand that poetic devices, particularly in a very brief poem, can become very distracting. But I don't think they have to. Although it's a general practice that uh, similes and metaphors, for example, mm -hmm. are, general, are generally avoided in haiku, I don't think that they should be dismissed from ever occurring within one. If there are particular reasons that justify the usage and enhance the poem in a way that without could not be achieved. In, in this particular case, I wanted to sharpen the image itself. And I wanted to enhance the situational irony. Mm -hmm. And the usage of the simile seemed to do both. Ultimately, I decided to keep it because it served the poem and there wasn't another way that I could find in order to achieve those two goals in such a way. I think you've just illustrated an important point that you made this decision knowing full well the, the rules about form, etc., And it was a considered decision. That decision of yours comes from experience and knowledge. Yeah, it was a very considered yeah. um, choice. I don't, I don't tend, though, to consider the rules as strict, per se. I, I consider them guidelines yeah. and feel that there are always exceptions. And through time, of course, uh, as far as the haiku is concerned, uh, the expectations and the guidelines have changed. Mm -hmm. they've, they've evolved. Yeah. So being mindful of all of that, I think, is, is important. And ultimately, as, as a writer, you, you're, you're making a choice about the poem, what serves the poem best. Yeah. And in this case, it's a haiku. So what serves the haiku best? Can this exception remain? Mm -hmm. Because it is a way that can achieve what's necessary that can't be achieved another way. Good lesson in there. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I could just point one other thing out about that simile as well. Oh, please, yeah. The strike signs held like shields. There was a, the, I was trying to imply a kind of uh, holding 
of the apparatus of this confrontation between the two, which, which evokes a kind of image through history. It hadn't struck me before you mentioned it, but yes, it, it does do that, doesn't it? Punctuation has sort of evolved also through the, the course of, of haiku's uh, life. And in this particular case, I could have actually eliminated or deleted the, the colon. But it, I think, performs an important uh, role here because not only does it cause that kind of sudden stop, but it presents physically the hail themselves. And so it's a kind of reinforcement of the content, a visual reinforcement of the content within the poem. That's music to my ears, Michael. We've been working a lot on punctuation. I think it's, um, things have fads and fashions, don't they? And I think the, do, current, yes. the current fashion is not to punctuate for various reasons that we've, we've talked about on the podcast before. But I like a bit, of, uh, a bit of punctuation when it makes sense. Windows iced over granny double salts her soup. Windows iced over granny double salts her soup. Now I, I've got poet's envy about this one because I like the comparison the, of the ice and the, the salting of her soup. Now, again, I don't know if this is what you meant. And, and both together uh, suggests cataracts to me. So is this what you had in mind? And if it's not, do you mind when people have their own little story with your haiku? Well, I'm grateful for your interpretation. And I think, I think that it increases or deepens the poignancy of, of the poem. I'm thinking of Antonio Portia who wrote, I know what I have given you. I do not know what you have received. Personally, I, I, I feel that the ideal reading experience of a haiku is one that you just described. The reader enters the words, relates to the content, and then unites with the images mm. in, in, in such a way that the poem becomes a moment from or about their own lives. Yes. This isn't about my granny at all. Although it is, it isn't. It's, it's about your experiences and, and your history and your interpretation and your ideas and your thoughts and your feelings. So when, when people interpret the poems in ways that I had had no um, intention whatsoever or idea about I'm delighted because it indicates to me that they've made a, a, a real personal connection with the poems and somehow perhaps that poem is, has connected them to their lives. Yeah. Maybe brought back a memory that they had forgotten about. I'm elated when people have very uh, unique to them interpretations. If I may just mention, yep. this granny is the granny I spoke of earlier, my mother's mother. So this comes from a, a, a direct experience. And uh, sh she and I were very close. 
emotionally. Mm-hmm. And I would go to her home in order to help her um, with chores. Yeah. And one of the deals was that if I were to come down and, and to take care of her chores, that she would make lunch. And then she'd tell me all kinds of stories about my mother. <laughs> so that, that was a bargain I, I couldn't resist. <laughs> Making love near a quarry, the earth moves. Making love near a quarry, the earth moves. You could have done a three-line line poem with this one, or even a two. So I'm interested to know, why the, why the Monaco? Why did you go for that structure? I agree with you that this, this poem could be shaped as a three-liner or as a two-liner, as could the previous one. Yeah. But they were both conscious choices. First of all, when I see a monoku, I actually view a horizon, which appeals to me greatly, mm-hmm. an, an environmental line that in a way, metaphorically positions the poem and the reader within the same setting of a mutual experience. So I like that. Mm-hmm. I also really enjoy the way that a single line allows the reader to create the pace and the rhythm of the words, and also to create uh, word clusters on their own. So uh, in a way, the, the one line haiku, it allows a little more freedom, <clears throat> I think, for the reader. Yeah, And as a result of that, the poem can be read in many different ways. The reader can establish their own pace and associations and may or may not include any kind of, of real pauses. So I often write my haiku in one line. Oh. And I'll finish it in a single line and then read it in many different ways and determine whether or not the poem is better served as a one line, two line, three line, or more. And so are you saying then that speaking it out loud determines the way or helps you determine the way it's going to look on the page? It's a very important part. The the musicality of the words, The, um, the alliteration, the assonance, the consonance, the rhyme, half rhyme, sight rhyme, the way it looks, the way it feels, the way it sounds, all of that is part of the final decision regarding the final form of the poem itself. In this particular case, what was really important to me was the simultaneous moment when the couple is making love and the earth moves. It actually moves. So that was a simultaneous experience. Mm -hmm. And the single line was the best way to convey that. That was a great lesson on Monaco. Thank you. Now, interestingly, we've talked a little bit about 
the layout of poems. I think we're going to do a little bit more with the next few poems. So let's have a look. Addiction center, leaves of potted plants press against the pain. Addiction center, leaves of potted plants press against the pain. First of all, when I read it to myself, I felt you were playing with our perception a little bit because I could see the person in this poem in the, in the addiction center, surrounded as these places so often are, you know, medical places with lots of potted plants of various natures, but their own head pressed against the pain. But now as you read it to me, I'm thinking the word pain is quite a crucial word in this to me, it can be read a couple of ways. It can be read as the, as the plants pressing against the pane of the window. But were you also getting us to think about the pain of the addict in that situation? This is a poem I worked on extensively because mm -hmm. I couldn't quite find the essentialness in the poem that had affected me so deeply when I saw it, because this is an image that I saw mm -hmm. from the street. And I, I carry a notebook with me. I have been doing so since I was, um, since my late teens, I've been carrying a notebook with me and jotting in the pages, uh, images, ideas, thoughts, emotions, to-do lists, directions, anything that uh, relates to my experiences through a typical day. Mm -hmm. And then I revisit them later. And some of them sort of provoke or, or uh, incite a, an, an engagement that then leads into an exploration, which then leads into a kind of discovery and then into the creation of a, of a poem. This moment that I experienced affected me very deeply but I couldn't quite express it in, in the haiku. Yep. And I worked on it a long time. I kept revisiting it and then eventually worked it into this particular form. And, and you're absolutely right that just as in previous uh, poems, the, the last word is so critical. In this particular poem, it's, it's, it's essential. And without it, it's an observation. Yeah. But with it, it's 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 a kind of empathy, mm -hmm. and it's it's a kind of connection and a an understanding. It's got a particular look to it. Tell me a bit about that as well. How you've used the page. Form is is very important to me. The physical look of a poem on the page is part of the process of. of composition. Mm -hmm. It's late in the process, although sometimes poems arrive faster than others, and some of them already seem to know the way they want to be viewed. But most of the time, I'm working with form at the end of the process. That includes figuring out whether it's one line, two lines, three lines, or more. And then whether or not the lines should be presented in a particular way. And a lot of the decisions about where the lines go 
depend on the other words in the poem. Sometimes the alignment that is decided upon is chosen because of the connection between two key words within the poem. Like for example, in the, the poem about my son spilling the popcorn, mm -hmm. there are two words, one right on top of the other, onto and then into, onto the mud and then into a constellation. And that was very purposeful mm -hmm. to, to make that transition very clear and related. Sometimes the, the decisions in terms of the way the poem will look on the page has more to do with a reinforcement of the content. So the, the poem will, will find a, a form that relates very much to whatever is occurring within the, in the poem. Sometimes the choices are based on what words can be isolated and emphasized through that kind of form arrangement. Now, in this particular case, addiction and potted plants are being emphasized through their positioning. Even though potted plants is in the second line, the positioning of the line on the page emphasizes those two words, potted mm -hmm. plants. So there's, there's there, another part of the equation is what, what words or images or content should be emphasized? What are the key words here or images? So that's another part of the equation. Now, in this particular case, I certainly wanted addiction and potted plants and pain emphasized. The pressing against the pain is also a key word here. So the positioning of the key words, addiction and potted plants and press and pain at the beginning and ends of the lines are very important. But I'm able to, to um, manipulate the emphasis to a degree by working with the positioning of the lines on the page. Now there's a, there's a kind of subtext in this poem that I was working on. And that is the idea is when people go to an addiction center, the idea is to break that addiction mm -hmm. and to leave it behind. But of course, addiction is a, is a, is a horrible condition. And it's so difficult. And in this particular poem, there's the center and leaves and the pressing against the pain, which, which in a sense are important words to convey that type of subtext. Also, one other aspect of, of, of the layout is that it affects the rhythm of the poem mm -hmm. very significantly. So if a line is indented, then the pause is even greater than a, the yeah. beginning of a, new, of a new line. So that also is happening in this particular poem. I feel a lot of experimenting coming on with my own work now. <laughs> we all find our own way in voices and... Uh, Yet, I, you know, one thing I, I would encourage people to do is to really consider all the possibilities and to experiment and try and see what works for, for, for them. Industrial park, not a single tree. Industrial park, not a single tree.
watching you read this just reinforces what I was thinking about this, this poem, because as you read it, because of the way you've laid out the, the lines, you've had to move your head in a more exaggerated fashion. We've all been to an industrial park, haven't we? The, just the like of this one that you, you've described. And as you look around you, not a single tree, and, and your head as you read it, you were looking around for the trees. The visual element of this, this poem is, is critical. Yes, that was part of the reasoning behind this particular formatting. The idea that one is looking to the left, looking to the right, looking ahead and seeing no natural life whatsoever. And when I think of the word park, what immediately comes to mind is trees and grass and flowers. And, and there's none of it. This kind of use of the word park linked with industrial so that it becomes an actual accepted expression, contrary to what the second word evokes for me, became an irony that I wanted to convey in, in a haiku. The, the other aspect of the, the layout is that it really isolates tree. Mm, yes. Life, tree of life. Yeah. The pausing is, mm -hmm. is, is important in this too. So the break and gap to a, from the first to the second line, and then mm -hmm. from the second to the third, I mean, it kind of indicates a searching, yeah. a seeking, a kind of perhaps disbelief. Not a single tree. I suppose you could have put the punctuation in, in there. It, it is possible you could have put an exclamation mark, I suppose, after the tree. But I think actually in this instance, the layout, the way you've used the layout is more effective than adding punctuation to this poem. And in, in this particular case, my hope is that in rereading the poem, the different suggested uh, ideas are conveyed, uh, not all at once, but through different readings in different ways for different reasons. The poem builds a kind of uh, layered mm. meaning within the reader. And an exclamation mark at that point would be, in a way, very directive. Yeah. A huge room, a light with the whole moon, the bed sheets cold. A huge room, a light with the whole moon, the bed sheets cold. Now, if you're listening to this on audio, please do go and look at the show notes for this, well, for all the poems, but particularly the last few we've been talking about because the layout is quite critical. Michael, tell us about this one. This one's fascinating. This is, is another example of a poem that uh, arose out of a, an actual experience. Mm -hmm. While I was traveling, it's a, 
uh, motel room that has the window doors that face an, an open area mm -hmm. that surrounds the, the motel. And in this case, the um, windows were open to a, a kind of field and there was a full moon. The light entered and arose in the room almost like an entity. And it was quite remarkable to see. The, the poem works from the broad to the specific or the wide to the, to the particular. And it's to present the kind of experience of being in that circumstance and seeing that and then feeling that. The, the rhythm change, was that a, a, a specific thought with you as well on that one in the final part? Yes. Very uh, clipped. Yeah. Short. Yeah. Sharp. And the, the opening and especially the, the middle stanza, quite large, round, full. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of assonance. So it's possibly something we don't think about enough, consonance, assonance. And I know a lot of people don't like alliteration in, um, in a haiku. And suppose if you put too much alliteration, it can overwhelm the poem, but it shouldn't be ignored. Right. I, I agree with you that this is something that could or may not be used, mm -hmm. depending on whether or not it supports the, the content of the poem, the theme. Yeah rhythm, the pace. I mean, there, there's a lot to consider, but I wouldn't exclude any technical aspect of writing poetry while writing haiku. Shattering light, a crystal menagerie of endangered species. Shattering light, a crystal menagerie of endangered species. In this case, the, the, uh, I wanted to create a corresponding form so that the poem itself would appear in some way to be a, a, a shattering of, of light. So that's one reason it ultimately has appeared in this form. Also, the other reasons of isolating the important words and uh, altering the pace. I wanted the, the pace in this particular poem to be as slow as I could make it effectively. As we discussed earlier, the, the leading up to the final word or words is critically important here. A lot of the poems that uh, are included in pilgrimage do have social commentary and um, political content. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is one of them. They're not um, overtly sort of in your face no. political comment or, or social commentaries. They're very gentle. So they sort of seep, it's a bit like osmosis. The idea seeps into you, into you um, rather than just being very strident. With, with the ideas behind them. 
the the idea of this menagerie of crystal, which is fragile mm -hmm. and endangered species. I mean, species are fragile. Yes, life is fragile. Yeah, and and the idea that there would be an actual arrangement of of these species in such a way was was quite intriguing, and the light being prismed was very critical to that whole idea. What we've seen throughout all the poems that you've highlighted for us today is how carefully you've put them together, how well-crafted they are, how you've thought about not just finding the perfect word, but the perfect placement of the word and the stresses and the sound and the rhythm all come together, which I guess it doesn't, it's not going to happen to a beginner necessarily, that all these things will come together. But if you if you bear all these things in mind as you progress with your writing, eventually you will come out with stupendous work like this. But it won't happen overnight. You've got to practice. Well, I'm 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 flattered by your comments, but I, I would not consider any of, of, of my poems perfect. And uh, and they even as we're rereading them, you know, I'm thinking of what if I had done this or had done that? Would would that have improved it? Um, but when when they were published, they were as as good as I could make them. Yeah. They, and they they were the result of of revision and reconsideration and of of singing out loud and. Uh, rearrangement and checking through a long list of aspects that that I wanted to consider very carefully mm -hmm. in order to make the choices that I believed in. Have you got an established checklist that you've, that you've written down or have you got enough experience now that the checklist is, is mentally is there so you're it, it comes naturally to you to be checking things as you go along. Right. The, the checklist now is, is in my head and heart, mm -hmm. but I, I keep at the forefront that the poem is about content, that everything that I work on in terms of the poem is to support and endorse and to enhance the content of the work. Everything else, whether it's uh, style or structure or form, is there to support and to best serve the content. That's something that I keep in mind every time I'm, I'm composing a, a poem. And you know what? That's probably a good place to say thank you very much. <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and listen to this with a notebook myself and, and make notes as I go along. And for anyone else who's listening to this on audio, you can obviously go back and listen to it on audio or you can go on off to the YouTube site, Poetry Peace YouTube site, and read the poems as you go along. But the poems will be in the in the show notes too. But before you go, Michael, one last thing. 
where can people buy the books? Both Pilgrimage and Nexus Haiku can be purchased online via Amazon Books and also through my website, which you see at the bottom, michaeljdudley.com. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you once again. Do go and look at the show notes on the Poetry P website or watch this on Poetry P's YouTube channel. And of course, the details on where you can buy Michael's books will be on the show notes as well. So until we meet again, one last thank you to Michael. Thank you, Michael. It was a real treat having you here today at Peak Towers. And I hope it's inspired people to just go out and write and consider everything you've told us about here today. And I look forward to seeing some of the submissions to, to Poetry P, to the, the Haiku P podcast, utilizing lots of the things, lots of the techniques and lots of the advice that you've given us here today. It's been wonderful. Thank you very much, Michael. I've greatly enjoyed our discussion, Patricia. Take care. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you.